Well, good morning, church. How are you doing today? My name is Kyle. If you're a guest here, welcome to Living Stones. We're a church that loves to march through the Bible. And so if you're somebody who's coming here with questions about God, this is a great place to come because we are answering those questions with what God has said about himself in the Bible. So if you have a Bible, grab one and open it to Romans chapter 10, which is on page 946 in the Bibles we said around the room. And if you don't own a Bible and you would like to have a Bible, you can take one of those Bibles we uh, have set around the room at home as a gift. So um, as we're marching through the Bible, we're in the book of Romans, and we're, in the, and we're in chapter 10. And in chapters 9 through 11 of Romans, we're calling that section, we're calling it pure grace, because that's what it's about. It's about the fact that people, <coughs> sinful humans, can have relationship with God not based on what they do, but based on what God has done for them. Amen, church? That is called grace. It's a gift that God gives us. It's nothing that we earn. And that video we just watched is about something that is mentioned in chapters 10, 11, 10 and 11. And I said it wrong in the 9. I'm going to say it right right now. But what happened uh, is in the Old Testament, um, God would sometimes describe himself as a, a tree or as a vine. And he would say, if you are in me, then you have life. And in chapter 11, what the Apostle Paul is going to say here is that God has crafted in, he, he's grafted in, he's taken some wild off offshoots of an olive tree and he's broken those off and he's grafted them into his life so that they can belong to him. And those wild offshoots are us. By God's grace, he has brought us into relationship with him. So being connected to him, we can have life with God forever. And that's what it means to be a Christian. And here's the thing. We didn't do any of it. It was his hands that grafted us in. His hands that intricately brought us into himself. And that's what pure grace is. And the question that Paul has been trying to get at through the last couple chapters has been, how is it that somebody can be made right with God? It might be a question that you're asking of yourself. How can I be made right with God? I feel spiritually lost. How can I be made right with God? I feel broken. How can I be made right with God? I know I'm messed up. How can I be made right with God? And Paul answers that in this section by saying this, just believe. Simple faith saves. If you just believe in God's son, you will be made right with God. Just believe. It's simple. So we're actually going to talk about four points in this little section today. First of all, it's really simple. Second of all, it's not easy. <laughs> Third, uh, it's for anyone. And fourth, it requires preaching. So first of all, let's look at it. Moses says, in, or Paul quotes Moses in verse five. He says, for Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. What Paul just says there is this. There's two ways to approach God. There's two ways to try to get right with God. The first way is a law-based righteousness. It's a righteousness that is based on being obedient to God's laws. But what Moses says, he quotes Moses from the book of Leviticus. Moses says that if you want to approach God like that, then you have to have perfect obedience. 
That's not good news. <laughs> because every one of us breaks God's law every day. I mean, just think about the Ten Commandments. The last commandment is do not covet. Do not covet your neighbor's donkey. I know you guys are breaking that commandment every day. (laughs) Do not covet your neighbor's spouse, your neighbor's house. Be content with what you have. We break that every day, don't we? Do not covet. Um, and, And Paul says in other places in the book of Romans that if you break one part of the law, then you've broken the whole thing, right? Like last night I was fixing my truck and I was trying to put new spark plugs in and I did it and I was so fired up. I'm like, I did this on my own, me and YouTube. We fixed this car and we fixed it. And then I get in and I start it and it won't work. And rage just went through my body. And then I had to call my dad and he came and he came down to help me out. And while I was fixing it, one little electrical thing unhooked. And because that one little electrical thing unhooked, the whole car wouldn't start. When you break one little aspect of God's law, you've broken the whole thing. And sin has contaminated your whole being, your thoughts, your mind, your will, and your emotions. And therefore, your heart starts to stray away from God. And our hearts were born into sin. From childbirth, we have been straying from God. That's why so many of us feel spiritually lost, because our hearts have strayed. Hearts of strayed. So it's not good news to have righteousness based on the law. But good thing Moses talked about another form of righteousness. And this is called faith righteousness. Everybody say faith righteousness. This is what Paul quotes Moses uh, from Deuteronomy chapter 30. He quotes him in verses 6 and 7. He says, but the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or... Who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Hallelujah. At first you're like, I don't understand a thing he just said. (laughs) Well, and the reason being is because Paul is using kind of, he's kind of joking with the people. And it's a 2,000-year-old joke. So sometimes you don't get 2,000-year-old jokes. But what Paul is doing is he's referencing something in Deuteronomy chapter 30. And in Deuteronomy chapter 30, Moses gives the people God's perfect law. And he says, you need to do these things to obey. But then Moses says something very interesting. Moses says, don't depend on yourself to have this perfect obedience because it will never work. And in verse 6 of Deuteronomy chapter 30, Moses says, God is going to draw near and he's going to circumcise your hearts. And when he circumcises your heart, which means make your heart clean and gives you a new heart, then you will be able to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. But it's only when God comes into your heart and does the work. And then right after that, in verses 10 through 12, Moses says, so therefore you won't need to ask the question, who's going to ascend up into heaven and bring the law down to us so we can actually do it. And you won't need to ask the question, who's going to go over the sea and bring it close to us so that it's actually attainable because God will bring it near to your heart. 
He will do the work. And what Paul is doing in quoting Moses on this is he's saying Moses was looking forward to the time of Christ when Christ would come down from heaven and live a perfect life on our behalf. And then he would go into the depths of death, dying on our behalf so that now we can be made right with God through his miraculous work. And so that's the word we confess. So basically Moses is saying this. What does it take for me to be right with God? Do I have to go high? No. Do I have to go low? No. You just have to believe. What does it take for me to be right with God? Do I have to go to church every week? No. Do I have to have perfect Bible reading? No. Do I have to give perfectly to the church? No. Do I have to change my political view? Do I have to change how I view on sexuality? Do I have to stop smoking? Do I have to change how I dress? Do I have to stop watching rated R movies? Do I have to stop cussing? No, you just have to believe. The only thing it takes to be made right with God is to accept the Son of God. It's the only thing. Now, when you accept the Son of God and you actually meet him, you might end up doing a lot of those things. Because when you meet the Lord of the universe you will change. When you meet the Lord of the universe, you will change. And it'll start to change how you live. It'll start to change how you think. It'll change everything about you. But you don't have to change anything about you to believe. You just have to believe. That's all it is. It's very simple, isn't it? It's very simple. That's why salvation is called a gift. It's called a gift. It's something that's given to you. And gifts aren't earned. Rewards are earned. Gifts are given. Gifts are just accepted. I've told this story before, but one time uh, we had a little retreat down in Sacramento and I forgot my computer there because I leave everything everywhere. And so I came back, I realized I did, I was going to have to drive down to the coffee shop, two hour drive on Monday morning and then uh, come back. And we had a little meeting in the morning on Monday morning, 9 a.m. little staff meeting and Pastor Gavin shows up 15 minutes late. And I was like, why is he so late? Who does this guy think he is? But Gavin walked in with my computer. And I realized, (laughs) it was very cute. (laughs) And he said, I wanted to bless you as a friend and my pastor. It was a gift. At that moment, I couldn't be like, well, what do I need to do to earn this? He did it as a gift. The only thing I could do was humble myself and accept it. That's what a gift is. And that's all that faith is. Simple faith saves. You want to be made right with God? You just have to accept his son. You just have to believe. That's it. There's there's nothing else that's needed of you. Nothing. And many of you are in here and you feel spiritually lost and you feel like God doesn't want you because you feel like you're never going to be able to clean your life up enough for him to love you. And guess what? You won't. And you don't have to because he came and died for all your sins. You just have to accept him. That's it. But I fear, beloved church, that many of us Christians have made it much more than that. I fear, beloved church family, that we want that for ourselves, but we look at our friends and our family and our enemies and we say, you better get your act together if you want God to love you. And when we do that, we need to repent because that is wrong. All you have to do is believe. That's it. But, point two, it's not that easy. 
Can I get an amen? (laughs) Belief is not as easy as it sounds. Because, first of all, the content of the confession that we make. The content, first, is, is look at what it says. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified, and with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. Now, what's that word? Saved. The first reason it's not easy to believe is because you have to admit that your sorry butt needs saving. <laughs> And that is humbling to our pride. It's not easy to admit that we need to be saved. It's not easy to admit that we have sinned against God Almighty. But that's what we need to do. And it's not like we've just broken some random commands of some uh, body out there, like a speed limit, you know. We have broken your Father's commands for your well-being. You have broken the Lord of the universe's commands. And and as we just confessed, a lot of these, we've just grown accustomed to our sins against him and have grown okay with them. And we just sin over and over and over and we don't really care. So in order to be saved, what we have to do is we have to come to God on our knees and say, God, I have wronged you. And I've wronged other people made in your image. And I've lived selfishly. And not only that, I deserve judgment. That's why faith is so hard because the first step of faith is to admit that you need, that you deserve judgment. Paul's already established that the wages of sin is death, eternal death and separation from God. Man, that is hard to admit. Especially growing up in a Care Bear culture that says we're all great. No, we... We have hearts that have gone astray. And I think if we are just honest with ourselves for a moment, we can see that. But it's hard to admit. And then lastly, it's hard to admit about that the saving piece is because I think sometimes it's easy to admit that you're broken, but then we go quickly just trying to fix ourselves. Like if you guys were to read my journal, you would laugh because a lot of times I'm writing down and I'm like, God, I messed up like this, but here's all the things I'm going to do to not mess up again. But what am I doing in that moment? I'm relying on myself instead of on God. Because to rely on him, to admit that we're drowning like Jonah and we need him to help us is very hard to do. But that's the first step to salvation. It's the first step. Um, It's also hard because of the confession, which says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Lord means king, not buddy. And a lot of us as Americans, we have this idea that Jesus is like our buddy. Like, he's like, I'm just here to cheer you on and pat you on the back. Well, Jesus is the Lord of the universe. And to believe in him says, Jesus, you're the king. You get to sit in the driver's seat. It's not Jesus, take the will. It's get in the driver's seat. (laughs) You're in the driver's seat of my life. And that's very hard to do sometimes, isn't it? Because sometimes... We see what Jesus wants to do, and we're like, I want to do this, but to have faith means I'm going to go with what Jesus says, even though I don't want to. That's what it means to make him your Lord. I know that this is the biggest hangup why most people don't become Christians. 
because we love being the Lord of our life. But don't you see that it's only leading us into misery and ruin? It might be fun, but it's empty. We need a new Lord. And then the last reason why it's hard and it's not easy to have this confessing faith is because it says that we need to believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. Now that's hard to believe sometimes. And if you're new to church, here's what you need to know about the gospel. The gospel is that God saw us straying away from him. And so he sent his son, Jesus, to pursue us and to bring us home. And Jesus lived the perfect life on our behalf, the one that we would never be able to live. And then he died on the cross for our sins so that we could be forgiven of all of our sins. But then he resurrected from the dead so that we could have life with God forever. Jesus is not dead. He's alive. But that's hard to believe sometimes because I can't see it. It's really hard to believe in things you can't see. Lots of people are having babies in this church. And then they, we get a text or a phone call and they say, we just had a baby. And I'm like, yeah, I believe it when I see it. <laughs> well, how do we believe in something we don't see? How do we believe in this resurrection of this living Jesus who we don't see, right? That's, that's very hard. Well, we have to look at the clues. And there's lots of things we believe in life that we don't see. Like if you grew up in Nevada, you took history of Nevada and you you learned that at one point this area was covered by a great body of water, the Great Lake Lahontan. You're like, I've been to Lahontan and it didn't, (laughs) just a mud puddle out there. No, at one point, this whole area was a sea. And how do we know that? Not because we see it, but because there's clues left behind. There's watermarks on the mountains. Near Austin, there's an ichthyosaurus in the ground. You can go see it. There's scientists who have studies and, 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 and archaeologists who have, who have dug in and found all these clues that say this was underwater at one point. And the reality is, is regarding Jesus, there's many clues to believe that he is still alive. Like, for instance, take for the fact that we're worshiping him here today in Sparks, Nevada. Lots of men were crucified on crosses, hundreds of thousands, but only one is worshiped as God. Only one has split time. So what's the, what's the case with that? Well, there, something must have happened. And then there's also the testimony of the Bible that it was written by so many people, over 40 different authors, five genres of literature, over 1,500 years. And yet when you read it, it clearly preaches one man, Jesus Christ, which could only happen if it was God writing the book. And then you look at the, the, the testimony, the clues of, of personal change. I mean, look around the room. God has changed some folks. He's really changed us. He, he's, as, as Jesus resurrected from the dead, he made new life possible to all who believe. And so that's another clue we have to look at. And then finally, we have to just look at the clue of our conscience. Our conscience knows that there must be a resurrection because we don't believe that death is natural. And so we have to believe. And that's hard to do sometimes. And, and, and I would venture to say that our problem typically isn't with the facts of whether or not Jesus resurrected from the dead. It's whether we want to make him our Lord and Savior or not. Which is why the next part of the confession also makes it hard to believe, which, which Paul says, you have to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, but you also have to to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. It's inward and outward. And too many religious people just have an outward faith, but not an inward faith. 
and they're just a bunch of whitewashed tombs. Because it's easy to come to church, it's easy to get dressed, it's easy to act the part, but do you really believe? Have you really trusted? And then on the flip side, you can't just say, I'm good with Jesus because I believe in my heart, but you don't ever confess. You don't ever say, you're not a part of the church, you're not going to church, you're not ever giving glory to God. It can't just be inward, it can't just be outward, it has to be both. It's wholehearted life worship of Jesus. That's what faith is. It's a full giving your trust to him. It's a full giving of trust. When I was in high school, we had to do these really uh, leadership, silly leadership classes. And a lot of times we did these things called trust falls. Anybody ever done a trust fall? You like go up and you climb a ladder and there's like 10 people standing behind you with their arms like this. And you're supposed to fall into their arms without looking. Now you might get up to the top of that ladder and say, I believe you're all strong enough combined to catch me. But whether or not you actually believed and trusted was whether or not you actually did it. And there's a lot of people who say, I believe Jesus did it, but have you actually handed your life over into his hands? That's what faith is. It's a continuing trust that you're in his good and loving hands. So it's not that easy. So what do we do when we struggle with our belief? I think there's one thing we need to do. We say, Lord, I believe but help my unbelief. And God will draw near to help us. The third point of the sermon is that this is for anyone. Look at what uh, verse 11 says. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In these two verses, the word everyone was used twice, and so was the word all. And what Paul is trying to say here is this is for anyone. God is not partial to certain types of people. I know if you come to Living Stones and you see all the guys wearing plaid shirts, you might say God must really love guys who wear plaid shirts. But that's not it. God is not partial to people based on your race, based on the area of town you live, based on how you dress, how you talk. He's not partial to anybody based on anything. He just loves sinners. How cool is that? Like, if you were here at the beginning of this book... I told you that one of the reasons that Paul was writing to the Romans is because there was division happening in the church because the Jews thought they were more qualified for salvation than the Greeks. They thought that they had something better to offer God. But what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? It says we're all sinners. In Ephesians 2, it says that we're in our sins, we're all dead. And if you were to look at a room of dead people, there's not one dead person who has a little bit more life than another dead person. They're all dead. And what that means is God is not partial to some people and not others in his offer of salvation. It's for all who would believe. It's for all who would believe. But I think sometimes we don't really believe that. You might be sitting here saying yes and amen, but you know what we say a lot? I just heard this last week. Man, I really think God's going to save him, but he's going to have to do a miracle to save her. You know what's wrong in that? Is you were just saying, this person's a little closer and more qualified to salvation 
than she is. But that's to have a works-based mentality. The fact of the matter is that apart from God, all are dead spiritually and all need to be resurrected. All need God's miraculous work. And there's nobody where God is like, oh my gosh, I was gonna save you, but you're just a little bit out of my reach. God says in Isaiah, is my arm shortened that I cannot save? So let me ask you, church, who have you stopped praying for because you think they're just too far gone? Who have you kind of given up on? Who have you written off in society? Who do you avoid because you don't want to be around them? The gospel challenges us and says you can't do that anymore. I was talking with uh, Adam this week and we're just like, yeah, we were laughing about this because so many leaders of our church, we've had so many people come, come up to us and say, I can't believe that person's a leader. I knew them way back when they were doing terrible. And now they're a leader. Like, yeah, that's what God does. I mean, think of the people that Jesus chose to be his disciples. A real motley crew, wasn't it? It wasn't the best of the best of society. You had like these, you know, hardcore fishermen who are also scaredy cats. Peter and Andrew. And then you had uh, James and John. They were brothers who Jesus nicknamed them sons of thunder because they wanted to pronounce judgment on some group of people one time. Then you had uh, another group of uh, part of Jesus' disciples was Simon the Zealot, who, who was a political gangster. And then you had Matthew, the tax collector, who was on the other end of the spectrum, and he was a thief and a crook. And then you had uh, like Mary Magdalene, who at one point had seven demons cast out of her. And then at one point, Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee and met a guy who had a thousand demons and delivered him from those demons and said, okay, you're gonna be the lead missionary in this, this country now. Like that's who God chooses. And then think of the apostle Paul. He was, he was a, a tyrant. He was a religious terrorist, dragging people out of church, beating them and having them killed. And God shows up to Paul and says, yeah, you work for me now. Like, this is who God chooses. There is nobody too far gone for salvation. And some of you feel like you're too far gone, but I'm here to to tell you you're not. That's the good news of the gospel. There's nobody too far gone. And so we need to not give up. We need to keep praying. We need to keep loving. We need to keep sharing the gospel because we never know whom God will save because simple faith saves. That's all it takes is simple faith. Now, the last point for the sermon is this, that in order for God to do this miraculous saving work, we need to preach. We need to preach the gospel. Look at what Paul says in verse 14. I'm going to just say it probably like how he said it when he was writing it, because I think he was kind of preaching when he was doing it. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear unless someone preaches? And how will they preach unless sent? Behold, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. You see, Paul is saying, we want people to call on the Lord, but they won't call on him unless they believe and they won't believe unless they hear. And they won't hear unless we preach. And you know what that word preach means? It means to herald good news. And we have this going on in our society. On Friday morning, every household 
that has children in the Washoe County School District got a phone call of the Washoe County School District heralding good news that there was a snow day. <laughs> good news for the children, maybe not for the parents. But it was, a, it was a mass heralding. There has been good news. Something amazing has happened. Snow has fallen miraculously out of the sky and it's stuck to the ground. That's what it means to herald. It's, it's simply an announcement. It's not difficult. It's an announcement of something good. And it's not just something that preachers do, although this is what preachers do. This is the primary job of the church is to herald the good news. It's not to have a bunch of events. It's not to have a bunch of little social club gatherings. It's to herald the good news of the gospel. Because by the heralding of the gospel, people will believe and will be saved for eternity. This is what we're called to do. So if you ever have to go to another church, go to a church that is preaching the gospel. And if you ever come here and we stop doing it, yank us down and get up and start preaching the gospel. Because this is the calling of the church. But it's not just the calling of the preacher in the pulpit. It's the calling of every man in his neighborhood. It's the calling of every person in the workshop. It's the calling of every, every worker in the field. It's the calling to herald the good news of gospel to whom God has placed in our life. Now, on Friday, we got the call from Washoe County. School's canceled. But guess what everybody did that day? They talked about it. It was on the news. You were talking with your friends. You were talking with your family. Yeah, school is canceled, blah, blah, blah. How come we're not doing this with the gospel? I mean, we hear it preached every week, but we should be walking out Monday through Saturday talking to it with, about it with everybody that we're in. We need to be talking. You know what? If you really believed it was good news, you would talk about it. There's not a single ounce of good news on this planet that we don't talk about except for perhaps the gospel. And I have to ask, is it really... Maybe we don't believe it's good news. If we really believe it's good news, which I believe, and I know you do too, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. It's heralding. And that's why, it, it, now here's the thing. It says, how are they to preach unless sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. That's kind of a funny statement if you don't understand the context. How beautiful are the feet? There ain't no feet that are beautiful. <laughs> you got purdy feet, you know. There's no. Here's what's going on. Paul is using a reference from the book of Isaiah. And what, what was going on is, is when there was an army coming to take hold of your city, you would send out, the, the king would go out to battle. And so imagine, California is coming to attack Nevada. And I know all you guys are like, but we got the guns. And I know what you guys are thinking. <laughs> They're coming over the hill to attack Nevada. And we send out the king. And the king goes to battle. They meet in Truckee. And there's the battle going on. Everybody here would be waiting, 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 waiting to see. We'd be, we'd be watching for the horizon to see if there's going to be a messenger running back. Because if the king won the battle, the first thing he would do is he would send messengers back to preach the good news. The king has won. And so what Paul is saying here is he's saying this. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news because they are sent by the king. Because the king has brought victory. You're not sent by me. You're not sent by Kyle Bateson of Sparks, Nevada. You're sent by the king of heaven and earth. Amen. 
He, he said in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. He's sending us to the people around us. It's a royal sending. It's a divine sending. And he promises that he's with us even as we share this message of the gospel. And the message is, is one and the same. Our king has fought the enemy and won. He went into death and he defeated death. And he rises victoriously. And because we are with the king, we will live for eternity. Amen. That's the message. And it says in verse 16, though we preach, not everybody's going to obey the gospel. Not everybody's going to believe it. Look at what it says. But they have not all obeyed the gospel as it was prophesied in Isaiah. Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And Paul concludes by saying, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Here's the thing you need to know, church. Paul is promising two things in this. He's promising, number one, that if you preach the gospel, there will be people who believe, but there's still gonna be a bunch of people who don't. And that's not in your hands. But you still need to preach the gospel. You still need to share the message. And then the second thing that this says for us is that faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And here he's saying is that the only way that people will have faith is if they hear Christ in our message. Our message is not change your morals. Our message is believe in Jesus, trust in him. And if you're new to church and you haven't been to church ever or for a long time, know that that is the message, believe in Jesus. And here's the thing. If we think about the whole Bible, that's what Paul is saying, is the, the word of Christ. This whole word is the word of Christ. It's the written word about the living word. It's all about him. And the whole message of Jesus shows us that uh, in so many ways, God has come to be with us. And so when I feel discouraged and I feel hurt because other people are slandering me or talking against me or stabbing me in the back, I see Jesus who was also stabbed in the back by his, one of his really good friends named Judas. And I know that God has come to be with us in my suffering. When I'm hurting because I have the loss of, of a family member or, or a friend, I can look at the, the Bible and I could see that Jesus also wept over the loss of his cousin, Lazarus. When I, um, or when I, when I am angry at the injustice of this world, I can see Jesus flipping over tables in the temple. And I can know, you know what? He gets angry too. But I can also hand him my anger because vengeance is the Lord's, not mine. When I feel lonely and I feel isolated, I can hear Jesus saying to me, I am your good shepherd. And I've come all the way from heaven simply to be with you. And I can hear him saying right before he ascends back up into heaven after the resurrection, behold, I am with you until the end of age. You're not alone. When I'm tired and weary from trying to do good, but I keep on failing, I can see him crying out on the cross, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. This is the message of the gospel. It's him. It's not us. You see, to be able to preach, we need to preach something, and it's not us. A lot of us think that if we're just good enough people, people eventually become Christians. That's not true. Nobody's ever looked at my life and said, oh my gosh, Kyle, you're such a moral person, I need Jesus. <laughs> that has never happened. 
And it will never happen because God doesn't work like that. He works through the preaching of the gospel. They might see your good works and ask you some questions, but there's going to be a time when you need to open your mouth and preach the gospel. Because let's work this backwards. When we send people to preach the gospel, the gospel's heralded. When the gospel's heralded, people hear. When people hear, they believe. When people believe, they call on the name of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Simple faith saves. Let's pray. God, thank you. That is so simple. I pray that you would just help us to believe this simple truth. It's simple, but it ain't easy, God, and that's why we need your help. We believe, help our unbelief. And help us, God, and forgive us for the ways that we've stopped praying. Forgive us for the ways that we've given up on certain people. Forgive us for the ways that we have not shared your good news because we've been too scared. Refresh us with the goodness of your news so that we can proclaim it to the world and sinners can be saved. Help us, Lord, we pray. Amen.